Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Recording this mid-afternoon on a Wednesday. Why? I don't know. It's been a busy week, y'all, but uh, a good week nonetheless. Spent a surprising amount of time over the last 24 hours, maybe, speaking with hopeful, potential, and desired Indy 500 entrants. So, not exactly sure when I'll have an update for you. I know a couple of those that I spoke with uh, have given me an idea of when they think they will know whether it's a go or no go. So I will probably just hold to those uh, somewhat similar timelines before cobbling together an update. But as I mentioned before we got rolling in Texas, got 32 drivers, 32 entries locked into place. IndyCar has been working hard to try and get that to 33. So more on that to follow as always, want to say a big thanks to you for the questions you send in each week. I genuinely enjoy them. Uh, it's fun. It really is fun. I've been enjoying the new hashtag racing family Twitter spaces shows we've been doing with my co-host Chris Wheeler on Monday. If you got a chance to participate live yet again, more fun, more surprises I had, uh, had reached out to Scotty McLaughlin and said, hey, by the way, if you're free, would love for you to join in. Did not expect to have both of his teammates pop up. And actually, I think Power was first. And I think Joseph Newgarden, our race winner at Texas, was second. And then Scotty was actually third. So I think it might have been my tweet mentioning those two knuckleheads were on that uh, reminded him to come play. But if you got a chance, that was actually a bit of a magical time between those three they joined in the second hour of the show. I just put that up as a podcast, by the way. But if you want to check out at Marshall Pruitt on Twitter, if you aren't following, that's where we uh, we do these Twitter Spaces events. Do them every Monday. Moved it up about an hour. Did that at 4 o'clock Pacific, 7 Eastern. And we normally been doing them at 5 uh, slash 8. Who knows? Maybe we'll try and do the earlier one. Uh, if possible. But anyways, that's what we've been doing on Mondays. Those have been kind of sort of replacing me doing a guest episode here with IndyCar drivers or whomever on the podcast. We also had Andy Lally, sports car champion, NASCAR Rookie of the Year, join in. Ben Bretzman, uh, who also happens to serve as Scotty's engineer. So good fun was had. Number of you, number of members of the Prue Day joined in. So thanks for all of that. Uh, Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, torontomotorsports.com thank you as well for your ongoing support of everything we do here last little thing i will mention is if you want to join a family a racing family one that's a little bit crazy this week the prue day the listener group that's formed around the show oh they've lost their mind talking about sandwiches and raviolis and crustables and i i, I can't even keep up with all of it but if you want to join a racing family, uh, some friends who love talking about the sport and seemingly everything else, uh, do that proverbial bench racing, talking about all that takes place, what we discuss here in the show, you name it, their own lives, uh, send an email, prudayrocks at gmail.com, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S at gmail.com. Somebody will get you there in a day or two and rope you into that growing 100-plus member group of really cool and really fun people 
all sides of humanity is represented and i do love the diversity of the group and how they just seemingly have fun no matter what at all times so if you have an interest prudayrocks at gmail.com and i think with that said we're going to fire into the list put together by our dear friend jim kaiser that means it's time for a little music bed it's going to jump right in how long we're going to go hour hour and a half something like that but uh we'll try and get as many done as possible where do we start where does jim have us kicking open the show uh we're talking about texas big surprise uh jeff thompson uh let's see james malloy kyle levine darren king craig johnson and a whole bunch of others all got texas related questions so we'll jump into this spend a little while here then pick up some momentum with other questions Jeff, you open the show. Uh, kind note. Thanks for all you do. Well, thanks. Uh, do it for you, and y'all help me do what I do. So it's a mutual appreciation society. So I was super excited to say hello to you, Texas. Thanks for taking a moment to speak with me. Always, brother. Always do my best to spend time with uh, part of our, our racing family. He says, uh, question, which factor do you think of the greatest impact on the improvement of the Texas race? Was it lower temperatures, practice session on the higher groove, the wind, the additional downforce, or something else altogether? Was it a perfect combination of all them and not just one factor? I ask because I hope this result is repeatable and not a one-off fluke event. All the drivers told me, uh, the ones that I asked, they all told me the same thing. The downforce and the revised Firestone tires were the biggest factor in their ability to charge harder into the corners and out of the corners. Not much passing taking place mid-corner. We saw a couple of exceptions and still not sure how those cars stuck, but they did say that extra 150 pounds, which they're already making last year's configuration about 2,150 pounds. This new allowance from IndyCar brought it up to 2,300, so... Not a giant percentage increase by any means, but just that little bit, plus grippier right side Firestone tires. They all said, yeah, this is not forcing us to tippy-toe into the corner or tippy-toe out and be worried about this thing rotating on us um, like before. Hey, I've got a uh, an IndyCar prospective Indy 500 driver calling. I'm going to have to send that person... Uh, a little i'll get back to you later note um those were the things jeff so the wind certainly added some complication uh the tire life added something interesting so the stints were approximately 60 early 60s high 50 to low 60s in terms of how many laps uh, they would turn before diving in for fresh tires and we certainly saw towards the end of those stints where they started to fall off. Colton Herta told us on Saturday uh, on our end-of-day video show on racer.com that, yeah, last 20-ish laps, whew, you're going to be holding on. That's where a lot of the fun starts to happen. And it's fall-off, drop-off. And someone's car that is handling better, slightly better, not as much drop-off, being able to pounce on those who are having problems, Maybe that driver balances off later in the race and they're the one that falls prey. So honestly, 
that's where a lot of the the good stuff comes from of folks being on the same track at the same time experiencing different things compared to uh all the tires go off instantly or all the tires last the stint perfectly those are bad scenarios because when you have everyone dealing with the same thing at the same time you get follow the leader not a lot of racing so the confidence from the downforce confidence from the tires and also the fact that the tires weren't going to last a full stint those things made for uh, a lot of fun james malloy mp says hope all's well with you your wife and your cats thank you everything's exceedingly well uh James says, why am I getting a weird deja vu between this race at Texas, 2015 at Fontana? says, will Sunday's banger of a race have any effect on whether or not Texas will return? Or will this be like Fontana or goes out with a bang, never to be seen again? Uh, when I was standing in the garage after the race, walking back after filming the uh, post-race video with our pal Simon Pagino, was walking back and had a number of cars sitting there in impound waiting to go through tech. And one of them was Scott McLaughlin's car. Standing behind Scott's car was one Roger Penske. And so made a beeline over to RP, congratulated him on the 600 wins. And in the conversation, some of it that was on the record, and I mean on the record like, hey, can I ask you a couple of formal questions for an interview? Um and then after that, he and I discussed a couple things as well. Not necessarily, quote, off the record, just not things I was interviewing him about directly. Um, came up the topic of coming back to Texas. And I said to him, what you've heard me say here, what you've seen me write maybe and whatnot, and that is we can't keep coming back here if nobody shows up. And that's not a, a conviction against the track, local fans or anything. Just it's a situation that cannot continue. And so just overstated the obvious to him. Awesome race. Great victory for you. Wonderful. Cannot come back here again if we've got 5,000 people in the stands. Whatever it is, a fix has to happen. And the only way I can think of to make that happen is for you, your Penske Entertainment Promotions Team, Leadership Team, Business Development Team, all the folks that dive in for the Detroit Grand Prix and now for the uh, the high V IndyCar weekend at Iowa. Only way this thing can potentially work is if y'all join forces with Texas instead of them continuing to serve as an independent promoter of this race because this is failing. So fortunate that we have this great race that just happened. As I wrote, now you got something to fight for but seriously have to bring in the layers of your team to help Texas and try and lift this up to where it once was. He was in total agreement, not a surprise. I mean, obviously he saw it was a great race. We would want to keep coming back. I am told that they're out of contract now. So if we do go back, it will be something brand new they come up with. That might be the perfect opportunity to come up with a new contract that says Penske Entertainment and uh, the track and Speedway Motorsports Incorporated uh, are going to collaborate on the next uh, instances of the uh, the Texas race here for IndyCar. So RP got it. 
RP understood it. I can guarantee you I wasn't telling him anything new that he hadn't already thought of, but he was at least in agreement that, yes, uh, if we're going to go back, we can't go back with no changes. And so from what I understand, from what Roger told me directly, he plans to have his team engaged directly with Texas Motor Speedway. Watch this space. Uh, Kyle Levine says, hey, Marshall, great race at Texas. Great runs by a lot of drivers. Newgarden, McLaughlin, Jimmy Johnson obviously stand out. Also a lot of fun watching Marcus Erickson, Renus VK, Santino Ferrucci, Kyle Kirkwood until he crashed. Who impressed you the most? Uh, also says some really nice things, uh, hoping for progress on the home front with my wife. Trying to see if there's anybody you didn't name that came to mind for me in this peanut head of mine. Um, thought Malukas did a good job. He had a code brown moment, so I think he definitely changed his shorts after the race. I thought uh, Malukas did well as the top rookie to come home. Santino's got to be the one that stands out, though, right? Uh, seven practice laps or whatever it was, just pretty much giddy up and go. He does that. That should normally be ripe for someone crashing. And not only did he not crash, he drove a car that wasn't his in terms of setup. The setup on it, I assume it was Jack's or maybe a, I don't know exactly what it was, but I can guarantee you there was no time for them to run the car in and get it tuned to his liking. So the fact that the guy dove in with almost no practice, made no mistakes, came home ninth in front of Renus, in front of Colton, in front of Carpenter, in front of O'Ward, in front of so on and so forth, did all these things, no errors, while lots of other folks made errors, and with a car that, again, I would have to assume was by no means tuned to his exact liking. Also, other little note, top Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan car on the day? Granted, Graham Rahal taken out, not his fault. Uh, and, you know, Graham was running well enough to where uh, he very well could have come home in front of Santino. But for what we have for an actual result, top driver uh, at the checkered flag for RLL, all the things that he had to either overcome or deal with, yeah, that was awesome. I mean, truly, that was so much fun to watch. And, uh, yeah, perfect guy to do that. Darren King. Why did IndyCar wait until the last practice to run the special rubber session? Uh, why not do that first? Let others run high. Let it build up under race conditions. So it seems backwards to me. Uh, also mentioned that you uh, love the MP Show Me videos. Thanks, man. Uh, more of those coming. I had the same question. I thought they might try and do that first and then make it something where drivers the rest of the day could hopefully, in theory, run up there on their own and add a little bit more. was told that yeah, that's not what the teams wanted to do. It said with the one-hour practice to open, all teams were going to focus on not only getting the car settled and tuned and right, but to work on qualifying simulations, knowing that we went right into qualifying hour and a half, two hours later. And then it was the final session of the day where everyone would be working on race running, running in packs in theory, that, hey, if we were to try and put that rubber down beforehand, then that would build into a session where this might be more conducive. I don't want to say less to learn. You're always learning. But really, that first session was something where the feedback was, hey, 
You need to make sure we get our cars in the window, then make sure they're fast enough and qualifying so we can have a good starting position. And if we have a good starting position, that should maybe be an indicator that we're going to have a competitive car. That first session, though, is really where we got to work on the competition side. Last session of the day where we're tuning and doing smaller tweaks to perfect it for the race, that would be a better fit for when we would want to do this. So that's the answer I was given. Craig Johnson says, MP, great to see you back at the track. Thank you. Said, uh, enjoy your MP Show Me segments throughout the weekend. Fantastic. Uh, says, it sounded like Jimmy Johnson enjoyed his first oval race and did pretty well looking at his previous results. Can he build on the successes and be a contender when May comes around? Oh, completely. Uh, completely. The guy, while not a threat for the win on Sunday, definitely flexed his oval muscles. And I think for what he was able to do, it bodes well. Would say for the month of May, absolutely expect him to be a contender. I also, though, think of Scott McLaughlin and how the Texas race played out for him. Uh, he got played, right? He, he didn't know uh, what his teammate Joseph was trying to do, planning to do, but Joseph did it, and that was based on experience and so will scott get caught out like that again no but it was very representative of his limited indycar oval knowledge to have a feel for some of the tricks that might be pulled on you and one got pulled lost the race man he was not happy about that would just apply a similar mindset that i have for jimmy at indianapolis Certainly he can be a contender, but using traffic as a pick, uh, timing of passes, looking ahead and seeing traffic coming up and how one chooses to negotiate that or sit back a little bit, uh, pacing and pushing or pulling back, uh, fuel consumption while making speed, it's some of these things where you go just like Scott got schooled and now has more knowledge when he comes back to Texas. Jimmy's going to get a lot of mileage in practice and over qualifying weekend where he can run there. But I just don't know if it's going to be enough opportunities for him to see all the tricks, master all those things, and then prevent any uh, of those things being pulled on him at his detriment. Of course, the guy could win as a rookie, right? Alexander Rossi did that as a rookie. He certainly didn't know all the tricks. They went on a crazy plan that ended up paying off, but just it's the, have you been at this place over 500 plus miles before to know all the little things that the veterans use to be up front every year, right? It's a rarity when we are, are missing out on some of the true veterans being up front at Indy. The same group is there year after year being in contention. It's not just because they're old and have been doing it for a while. It's because uh, they got some special knowledge around that place. Hey, I got someone call me. I'll be right back. And we're back. And I got another story to write when we're done, but it's all good. Uh, where should we go next? Jeremiah. This is Marshall. It's great being back at the track. How are all the rookies viewed after the race? I think the obvious is maybe how to answer. 
Uh, Devlin DeFrancesco certainly didn't make a lot of friends, but uh, he is well-liked. And so I think he's certainly going to be given, not necessarily a pass, but just a, all right, uh, that's not how we do it. So we'll just try and do it again next time a little bit better on the ovals. I think everyone was impressed with Kirkwood. Sad to see him crash. Uh, I don't think any of the other rookies did anything too wrong or foul. So didn't hear much afterwards of uh, the rookies being a general nuisance. Like I said, the only one being the obvious with Devlin getting caught up a couple times. Uh, but that was about it. So the fears going in of a bunch of rookies and boy, it could be mayhem. I don't think that played out uh, to any of our worst fears coming true. Uh, Dan Werderich, how you doing, Dan? Says, do we really need to wait for your cooldown lap to find out if Devlin DeFrancesco wins the golden bowling ball this week? You don't. Um, yeah, I mean, again, the thing kind of awards itself, right? You know we've had a bad race when a lot of deliberation is needed, right, Dan? Where you go, oh, wow. You know, like four giant crashes triggered by four jokers. Which one of them gets it? Usually it's a pretty obvious one. So, yeah. Uh, Devlin? Your first golden bowling ball, the golden bowling ball, is yours. Uh, Grant Stouter says, so are Graham and Bobby Rahal going to need a second mortgage on the Taj Rahal to cover two tubs uh, destroyed in a front wing? Oh, boy. I was just speaking with someone uh, wondering if indeed with the new shop there being built on the outskirts of uh, Indianapolis, do they need to come up with some sort of underground tunnel between Delara in Speedway, Indiana, and their new shop? So it was a joke and a bad one. But, yeah, if you think about the ones toasted last year by Santino, the damage done by Jack, unfortunately, this year, <sighs> Delara has been kept busy. Uh, Brian Kroll says, AM, hey, MP. I don't know why my lips aren't working. They should. Do you have any explanation for how Connor Daly managed to have two pit lane speeding violations? Was there a technical issue? I understand that, yes, there indeed was a technical issue, not driver error at the root of both violations. So spot on there, my friend. And my pal Leanne Patterson, we used to work for uh, she co-owning two IndyCar teams that I worked for. Uh, she says, what did Joseph spend the $600 on? That 600 that Roger peeled off for him in $100 bills. I would believe, knowing that Joseph uh, and his wife have a baby on the way, he probably didn't spend it. He's not a, a big, crazy spender, so I think he was smart, and I think he socked that away. So that's my guess. Uh, Mitsuki Matsura, how you doing there? Marshall son, how would you rate the first official appearance of your new co-host for the hamburger and taco show? That being Colton Herta says from the perspective of viewers, it's hundred percent. Also, will the sticker of the hamburger and taco show be available in the near future? Uh, starting backwards. Yes. I have a note here to post all the new stickers that are available. So I need to do that. Hopefully here before we get to the weekend. Uh, I think Colton did a great job on Saturday. I'll tell you that he was supposed to be there Sunday. He was so frustrated after the race with the issues on pit lane and that obviously causing a significant drop in his final finishing position 
that he did not want to participate. Uh, and so despite a lot of texting back and forth, uh, yeah, so that didn't exactly play out the way that I had hoped. But thanks to Simon Pagino for being there, stepping in, and I think Simon will actually be making more appearances in the future because one thing I know that I need more than anything is reliability because having to on the fly standing on pit lane waiting to do an end of day video that is expected by my client and then learn while standing on pit lane that no you don't have a co-host and you need to find one um I can't put my client or y'all in that situation so uh, I would hope that Colton will get to do more. I just need to know that uh, it's not just going to be when everything goes well. Let's keep going here with Gary Chin. This is A&P with Santino landing a ride for Texas in place of Harvey. How many drivers are in the average paddock looking for rides during a race weekend? Honestly, all depends where we are at. Other than the Indy 500 and St. Pete, assuming St. Pete's the opening race, whatever the opening race is, and the Indy 500, pretty much the only places you can can expect to see drivers more than what we have on the grid, on the ground, on pit lane, letting teams know that if there's a need, they are there. By chance, Santino happens to live not far away from the track and was visiting that's where this became a real easy option for RLL. Other than that, um, I don't know if they would have gone forward. Uh, I mean, the only other person who was there that I think would be ripe for it is Charlie Kimball, who was uh, working with the Carpenter team over the weekend. Not exactly sure what he was doing. Just saw Chuck in a uh, ECR shirt and standing under the... Um, the lift uh on the backside of one of the ecr transporters but he really would have been the other driver to come to mind who could step in and drive for the team represent high v etc but santino being someone who was just in that car last year them having a seat for him um i think it's just a lot easier to slot him in but yeah it's really not something you see a lot of now granted you will see plenty of drivers at other races whether it's a home race or they're just trying to let it be known that they're there, they're available for now and the future and next year. Like that's a common thing. Just the actually being there, trying to be a sub if possible. Yeah. Uh, St. Pete and Indy. Let's go to Joey Tebbin. How you doing, Joey? He says, it's been too long since I've sent in a question, but I'm finally going to change that. Well, thank goodness. Does a last-minute sub-driver like Ferrucci this week and get paid by the team for their work? Would it be different if they were subbing for, say, a pay driver than a uh, for a paying driver compared to someone who's being paid by the team? I would have to believe Santino was paid. I can't imagine he would put himself at risk. Physical injury, whatever injury, for no money. So, yeah, in this case knowing that the team is indeed paying drivers to be in the number 45 Honda, I would absolutely expect him to get paid. Don't know what the number was, but um, yeah, he's too smart to drive for free, too good to drive for free. 
Uh, Nathan at Indy Nathan from Twitter says with Centino cashing in his money in the bank briefcase. Got a WWE reference, y'all. I think IndyCar should have one car prepared for experienced drivers to also cash in at a race of their choosing. Who doesn't want to hear, by God, that's Sebastian Saavedra's music at the Indy GP. Yeah. Uh, boy, we sure need that. We absolutely need that without a doubt. Um, he says, as they're about to start the engines in Toronto, Hinch pulls out the briefcase and reveals a fire suit under his NBC suit. Uh, who would like to see that cash in and at what track? No disrespect to Harvey. The circumstances sucked, but still kudos to Santino. Yeah, the uh, the money in the bank cashing in thing. I love the idea here, Nathan. So I think we got to develop this a little bit farther. Um, just be on the podcast for sure. Uh, where do we go next with your good old questiones? Uh, we're going to go to Lance Snyder. This is one of had come in in a few different ways. Should also mention uh, if you've heard a question asked and it sounds very similar to yours, but isn't the specific one you sent in, it's because our friend Jim Kaiser, who puts together the questions for me and selects what I use, uh, said we had a lot of repeats this week. So no disrespect to those who sent in similar questions, just um, yours might not have been the one chosen to read, but I thank you for sending in questions that are uh, thematic uh, that we have to choose from. So Lance Snyder, one of those uh, where we had quite a few people saying something along the lines of Andretti Autosport did not have a great race at St. Pete and had an absolute stinker at Texas. Has the distraction of chasing F1 affected their IndyCar operations? The answer is loudly and boldly, no, man. Um, it hasn't because there are no conceivable ways where Michael's pursuit of F1 and forming a team there would have any logical impact on the people calling strategy, turning wrenches on the car, uh, doing pit stops and such. We're not talking about Colton Herta's left front tire changer sitting there waiting to make that change at the last stop, daydreaming about, hmm, I wonder if I'm going to be in Formula One next year. Like, that's just not a thing. Uh, the wiring issue on Rossi's car, I can't think of any way to tie that back to team being stretched too thin, being distracted, etc. cetera. Uh, I mean, Colton did finish fourth at St. Pete, so that wasn't bad. And Romain was fifth, so that wasn't bad. There was a mistake during Colton's, uh, during a pit stop at St. Pete with Colton, where while plugged in and refueling, by chance, there was a splashback from within the tank that happened to fire into the vent tube. And so it gave the appearance of the tank being full and fuel splashing back up that vent tube, which is then the, uh, the visual trigger to pull and send the car on its way. A fluke, a absolute fluke of fuel splashing back and happening, happening to go into the vent tube. And so that is why the car was, uh, quote, short-filled. It did not get its full tank. Uh, it was intended to have its full tank, and Colton then had to make crazy fuel mileage to close the event, really was not able to charge, 
and try and get up onto the podium, go for a win, etc. So that was just a fluky error. Uh, the decision to leave Rossi out again, that, that was that, um, but I would say none of these things I can think of Lance tie back to F1 being as a distraction, the team being stretched too thin, uh, the people by and large turning wrenches, calling strategery and everything else, uh, are really not changed from last year we might have seen someone move from this timing stand to that timing stand but these are all basically the same players so um i don't see it now if we get through long beach and it is still a steady sequence of bad luck errors and otherwise i'd say by that point maybe we start to have a trend um after just two races i don't know if I could uh, make that full claim or even partial claim as of yet. So let's see, where do we go next after my Minister of Mirth? Ben Cohen, we're going to stay on the 27 car here. Uh, ben says, MP, thanks for the awesome coverage from Texas. I greatly appreciate that. Uh, says, wish more people would join you at the track. I was extremely pleased with the racing and will be planning on heading back to Texas um if the race stays on the schedule so this question how does rossi's luck continue to be so poor and will potential opportunities for next year uh take into account bad luck in their decision making <laughs> yeah i mean things remain as bad as they've ever been for alexander i don't believe there's anybody on pit lane that might want to employ him next year that are thinking, well, if he comes to us, the black cloud will follow. I got to believe they're all rational men and women in those decision-making situations. Do have to wonder though, Ben, as a mechanic, we had something called the different hands theory. And as a mechanic, there's a, a, an amount of pride that should come with your work and an amount of pride that you can do your own work. Of course, there are areas where help is needed from other mechanics for something, whatever it might be. But if you're in charge of a car, if you're in charge of a portion of a car, the expectation is you can do your job by yourself. If you are the front suspension, maybe just the left front suspension mechanic on a car, but let's just say you're in charge of all the front suspension on an Indy car. There's an expectation that you can maintain the front of the car, swap suspension if you have to, make whatever adjustments, do all the things you need to do on your own. But there are times where you are trying to put a new piece on the car and you've tried 10 times and you cannot get that bolt to fall into place and it's driving you mad. You're just losing your mind. You're also realizing that you're holding things back. Things are slowing down for whatever reason, because you can't put the stupid bolt through the hole. That is often where the decision is made. <laughs> To say, hey, different hands theory. 
uh, friend over here, mechanic at the back of the car, can you come give this a try, please? And again, it's this different hands theory of mine are just as skilled as yours. I've inserted this bolt a thousand times before. For whatever reason, it's fighting me now. Could you please give it a try? And invariably, that person com- comes over and says, sure, and boop, <laughs> falls right in. And you get even madder. What the hell? I've just wasted 20 minutes trying to do that. You did it in two seconds. I don't know why it worked for you, but didn't work for me. Different hands theory. This is just what's starting to come to mind for Alexander. I don't think that his number 27 Napa Honda is cursed. I don't think he's cursed. I don't think his mechanics are cursed. I don't think his engineer strategy. I don't think anyone's cursed. But I do have to start wondering if there isn't a vast uh, immediate turnaround. Long Beach seems like a perfect place. Place he's won twice before. Kicked ass there. If we're talking about more misfortune there, whether it's mechanical, a bad pit stop, or just the speed isn't there, if this does keep rolling and the bad keeps getting badder, do have to wonder if nothing more than a different hands theory needs to be applied at the end of the year. Hey, man, just got to believe at your new team home, things are going to work out the right way. I have to believe, have to hope that's going to be his reality. Because at this point, he's 27th in the championship. There's only 29 people that have scored points this year. There's only 29 drivers who've taken part in this season, and he is 27th. We know that before the strategery call in St. Pete, he was running up near his Andretti teammates uh, that finished fourth and fifth and was certainly capable of doing something like that. Texas was okay, but not great. Uh, And then he didn't get to play for very long. All I can tell you is, I don't think, to your question, I don't think any other team is going to be worried about the bad juju transferring over to them. But there is certainly a sense that boy, uh, maybe we're going to need to just try this experiment somewhere else. Uh, Kurt Pose, similar topic here, says, in a, is a mid-season swap something that occurs with any regularity in IndyCar? It does not. It says, Andretti buying out Kirkwood's contract with Foyt to be in the 27 makes a lot of sense to me with how miserable Rossi is uh, and has been there. That's the other component here to think about, Kurt, and I appreciate you bringing this up. So Rossi is known as a amazing ambassador for his sponsors. They love him as much as uh, Auto Nation, Napa, Acura, just run down the line. All the sponsors on the car love this guy as much as a driver could be loved. No sponsor spends money with a team simply because they love uh, a person. They also expect results. And I'm not pinning results on Alexander for the first two races by any means. Um, 
but there's the cold hearted side of this too. Hey, we love you. You're amazing. You do just the most excellent job for us in promoting our stuff. Unfortunately though, the on track part, the most expensive part that we spend on to be up front, to be on the good old TV because you're near the lead, if not in the lead on the podium, plenty of airtime for your car, our car. If that thing is not being satisfied, it almost doesn't matter how good you are off track. Some exceptions, obviously, but for a Indy 500 winner, guy that's finished second in the championship before third, another time. That's the concern that I'm starting to have Kurt of, Hey, these are sponsors that have dug deep to not just continue being on the car, but to help facilitate a multi-year contract extension for Alexander, which again, he's going to be uh, completing at the end of the season. But are there any worries, concerns, pushes, or otherwise uh, in the short term where you might have someone saying, look, uh, maybe more on the Andretti side than anything, right? We had this happen not so long ago with Zach Veach. We had this happen with the team saying, okay, we really want to hold on to Gainbridge. Um, We need to come up with a plan and despite whatever might have been presented at the time, uh, this was not Zach voluntarily stepping out of the car. This was a pretty hard stand down that took place. Um, I don't know if any of the sponsors on Alexander's car are anywhere close to that point coming up before the end of the season. I don't know if Michael Andretti is anywhere close to thinking or feeling that before we get to the end of the season. But if things keep going as poorly as they are, it wouldn't be strange to just ask the question of, hey, could you see a change coming if you felt that was necessary to keep those sponsors? Knowing that there have been questions for a while now as to whether Alexander has any intent on coming back, wants to come back. Um, Could we see a Zach Veach-like situation towards the end of the year? Where a Kirkwood or a Askew, right? Oliver Askew, who's under contract with uh, Andretti and Formula E. I know they're super high on him. Could that different hands theory get applied? I don't know. Just saying. You raise a great question. And knowing how... I really can't go into any details here, but knowing how Michael would definitely not want to lose any sponsors... um, This whole thing gets cured once Alexander gets back on track. And I continue to believe that he's going to get back on track. But if things don't, yeah, this, this might be something they need to, uh, need to acknowledge and discuss. All right, Kurt. Thank you for that. By the way, let's see, where do we go from here? Uh, Dan the man. How you doing, Dan? The series added some optional aero pieces for the Texas race. Is there a chance the rules could be loosened for teams to make their own parts like those barge boards? Could, yes. Mass produced and whatnot by Delara. You know, I don't think there's too much of a concern uh, there for teams to really want to dive in and make 
some small parts and pieces like that. I also think IndyCar would really not want to have to do very detailed technical inspection on, you know, nearly 30 barge boards, for example, made by each team. Uh, are they all the exact dimensions? Are they all exactly perfect? Does one have a one or two degrees more curvature than the other, which would create an advantage and yada, yada. Like again, could yes. Would IndyCar want to open that up to have to police it? Oh, I do not think so in any way, shape or form. So that is that. Brian Burrell, MP, should we be concerned if Indy barely gets to 33 cars this year? Would it possibly be the same next year? Is that the area to be concerned? So his initial thoughts were Chevy and Honda didn't want to push numbers during the last year, the current engine formula, but now that it's delayed, I fear little to no bumping this year next could be the case. It says the fast nine qualifying thing is great. Some of those last-minute runs to make the race are just heartbreaking and life-changing. I would indeed say this is a concern. Uh, looking to next year, I love the point that you've raised. I do believe, I do absolutely believe that there might not be a massive change in willingness if we hold on to the grid size that we have for the full season so that keeps getting repeated back to me is the major reason why uh, not many teams are wanting to accommodate extra entries and or co-entries being the team to facilitate uh, a chassis crew otherwise I think if we keep holding high at 26-ish, maybe even get to 27 full-time cars next year, who knows? I think we're going to be looking at the same scenario. Okay, well, uh, this team's going to add a car, and that team's going to add a car, their own cars, and those six to seven available spaces in the field of 33 could be largely filled by full-time teams doing extra cars of their own then not wanting to help the Stefan Wilsons and Don Cusick's and Beth Perettas and uh, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I could tell you this. The recommendation I've made to a few of the, quote, indie-only entrants, the aspiring indie-only entrants, to go buy your own chassis. Take control of your destiny. If you have no assets and have to borrow, lease, you name it, you're relying on the, the kindness of others or whatever of others, the, the needs of others. Not everybody will necessarily have that same need to say, yes, we will let you take a chassis uh, and pay us for it, but we'll let you use that for the month of May. Um, definitely look forward to some of those teams uh, and desirous Indy 500 entrants going and buying the assets they need so they don't have to be prone to others saying yes or no. Uh, Andrew Davis asks, how smooth is Canadian maple syrup? Uh, someone told me that might have been uh, off track with Hinch and Rossi uh, dare of that mention taking place, so we would have to ask the mayor indeed. I have not consumed syrup for a little while now. 
see where else do we go here actually not too far from being done uh matthew croft best to your wife and the cats can you explain the role if any the fia has in american motorsports i recall seeing the fia flag flying atop the pagoda the speedway a few years ago why would that have been there also what can be done to encourage the fia to award more super license points to indycar winners and champions finally has there ever been momentum to bring indycar under the fia banner I don't really recall the latter part here. IndyCar has sanctioned itself for a long time. Uh, there have been other sanctioning bodies beforehand, but they were all American. FIA is certainly involved with uh, some other sports. They do a lot of track certification. So there's that. That might be one of the reasons. Um, beyond that, I can't think of too many you know imsa sanctions itself nascar sanctions itself uh dragsters monster trucks motorcycles you know there's there are some that have strong fia ties but not many um where else do we go here mike jablo mp glad to see you back at the track love the new videos says if the milwaukee mile is indeed back on the schedule next year Will you allow questions here and in the mailbag regarding Cleveland, Michigan, Speedway, etc.? Uh, asking for a friend. Yes, of course. But we're going to save them to the end of the show. The end of the mailbag is not to put people to sleep. Uh, let's see. Indie fan 2000 or 200 2017 says, is Mar Andretti on track to be the 33rd entry with the two seater? Stop revealing my, my breaking news here. You darn Redditor. Yes, of course. That's always the answer. Uh, let's see. The Dawn of Red from Reddit as well. Marshall, hope the Prudes are doing well. We are. IndyCar feels unique to me in that we have fans that tend to cheer on the series as a whole versus individual drivers or teams. In my other sports, I actively have venom for the likes of the Pittsburgh Steelers, St. Louis Cardinals. I hope for nothing but pain, misery, and misfortune for their fans. In IndyCar, I've ended up watching with nuanced understanding and pride for all the race teams. Uh, Will Powers 7 and Mr. Penske's $600 are great examples from Texas alone of the care and effort everyone puts into the series. Uh, Is this normal? Have I gone soft? Where can I project my American sense of tribalism in this sport? 100%. Uh, Scott Dixon, possibly the worst human being ever. Um, just clubbing baby seals on his free weekends. I mean, I'm just telling you, is there a worse human being? So hate him. Definitely. I'm kidding. He's one of the sweetest guys you'll ever meet. Yeah, we have a lot of likable people. I don't know if we have entirely likable team owners in every corner of the paddock but we definitely have drivers that are mostly likable we spoke about santino a little bit he had the ability to be a heel um we have drivers who by and large are super locked down and while they have many opinions they don't necessarily want to share the negative ones or the critical ones graham ray hall will speak out a little bit power will speak out a little bit uh new garden nope um mclaughlin's pretty straightforward but also he's still newish here so i don't think he wants to come out guns blazing dixon will say whatever he wants but tends not to 
air dirty laundry much, uh, nor will the rest of the Ganassi drivers. Rossi at Andretti is uh, pretty straightforward, but again, he usually just chooses to not give any give things energy if they're super dumb or negative. Uh, Herda can be pretty blunt when desirous. Romas seems to be pretty happy um, at all times, unless someone does something he doesn't like. Um, I should mention, we actually spoke a few words at Texas in passing. Um, he wanted to know where to find the media center where the driver's meeting was, so I told him. So, yeah, that's the first time we've spoken in seven months, eight months. Yeah, we'll see if it happens again before the end of the year. Um, for the most part, the drivers are pretty nice and straightforward. And so just to your point... You can hate on Penske because they're the big, most they're the Yankees of IndyCar. Uh, you can hate on Ganassi for whatever reason you might want to hate on them. You can run down the list. Uh, I'm sure you can find reasons to hate, but I don't know if there's any like real like, oh, this person's just a loathsome bastard, and apply all the hatred and venom you can. Just maybe not so much that we have right now, but. I'm always looking forward to that WWE heel turn by somebody. Uh, Casey Kirkstra is MP. Best wishes to you and your wife. It's been really happy to hear about her progress. Oh, it's sweet of you, Casey. Yeah, she's been just kicking butt. Uh, just really, really kicking a lot of butt. So, um, yeah, I'm so happy for her. Like, I know it sounds like duh, but like, I'm in a perpetual state of happiness for her and all of the improvements she continues to make knowing that they're setting up just you know everything for uh even bigger and better and brighter days ahead uh this was meant to be the final question placed above the red line of death but uh this has been a pretty compact show so uh we'll keep going for a little bit longer uh the pruday that i mentioned here pruday rocks gmail.com uh they've gone off a little bit over the last 24 plus 48 hours i don't know John Ranjow, a.k.a. John Wojnar, one of the leaders of the Prude, says, MP, settle a d debate between myself and Sarah Morell uh, that's been rolling in the Prude. Is a grilled cheese sandwich just a large cheese ravioli? And inversely, is cheese ravioli and red sauce just a fun-sized grilled cheese and tomato soup? Um, no. No. And what is wrong with y'all? For real. Am I going to have to put the Prude in a timeout? I think so. It, it, all right. Ranjow, all the members of the Prude, up to your room. No TV, no phone, no iPad, no digital anything. I'm turning off the Wi-Fi router. Uh, no snacks. Straight to bed. Bad. Bad Prude. Bad. Okay, let's get back to uh, non-insanity here. A uh, couple more. Let's see. Steve Grinstead, were the extra downforce bits used during qualifying? I didn't honestly or dishonestly look at the cars before qualifying because I think I was busy trying to get the qualifying report done before I jumped out and did the... Uh, the first failed attempt at the hamburger and taco show. So I didn't do a grid walk to look and see who was doing what. So I don't know. 
Uh, Jordan Darwin, who do we need to call, email, tweet, or et cetera to keep Texas on the calendar? You say in 2022, but I assume 2023. Hit IndyCar.com. Hit at IndyCar. Um, hit Jay Fry, who's a not super active guy on social media, but let him know. I don't remember. Is it at J.R. Fry, F-R-Y-E, I think, on the good old tweeters? Uh, let him know. You love it. Make it happen. IndyCar, get involved. Get the, the promotions fixed. Get the ticket sales going. Um, individual ticket sales. That's another thing that I kept hearing about. Um, Texas Motor Speedway continuing to package its IndyCar tickets with NASCAR tickets, season-long tickets, uh, and so on. Um, yeah, assuming that's all accurate. Yeah. You really got to stop doing that. And you really do need to look at, okay, we did put on a good show this time. We put on a couple of stinkers beforehand, which is why nobody showed up, but we now have a reason to keep this thing. Do we make it really expensive for folks to try and be here? Or do we break that out and say, you know what? Let's come up with just, I don't know what it is. A uh, $25 ticket, and that gets you in the gate, free parking, and it gets you a hot dog or something else. I don't know what it is, but uh, they need to rebuild faith and the sense of community around that event. So trying to stick people with crazy prices or packaging it, you can only get it if you buy the NASCAR thing. Like, look, if, yeah, whatever this is going forward, just be smart about it uh paul hirsch said do you think the making the texas race more of a festival will help the stands i think if you have an indycar race and all you do is have the indycar sessions and nothing else going on i know that i would not think of it as a oh my goodness this is a real fun event event an event being a thing that's different than a race like you just show up to watch cars on track and then go away and there's only one series doing that over two days yeah i don't know how invested i am if you're telling me that you've got whether it's road to indy something from nascar arca i don't know just stuff let's let's make that happen whatever it is let's make that happen so yeah i do i don't know if it needs to be a crazy festival with concerts and all kinds of stuff like I think that might be a little bit too much uh, as an immediate reaction, but just, hey, how about you get the core thing you're trying to get people to follow and care about? Let's get that right. Let's put enough action on the schedule to bring folks out and give them a reason to come and stay and and really buy into this. So I think there's something there. Um, Where else am I going here? Amanda Bauer. How you doing, Amanda? Says, what factors... Uh, most influenced team's decision to participate in the top line uh, since the tires were uh, tires for the race were not a concern, potential for crash damage, engine mileage, etc. Yeah, so from what they said, Firestone had 10 sets of unused tires left over from last year's race, and so that's what they made available for teams to use during that 30-minute session. Uh, depending on what comes of negotiating with Texas and if we're going back, I would definitely think there would be a request for more tires uh, to be manufactured. I don't know how many are left over that were unused, but 
a greater number so that it could be 15 or 20 cars to go out. But yes, the, the worries about crashing and whatnot were certainly the number one reason I was heard or that was told. Having seen that that did not happen and did not appear to be a real concern during that session, I would think the teams that stood back will maybe now step forward uh, if we go back. Let's see. I'm going to take a sip of coffee here. Zach Dean, you're wondering if it could have the same effect of rubbering in at slower speeds, maybe using streetcars, etc., um no uh, it is the speed and the friction and the lateral forces causing the carcass of the tire that rubber to embed within the track uh, that is key to this happening so there is a speed and there is a loading factor that needs to happen uh street cars unless they had skinny versions of the same exact firestone rubber as used uh, on the race tires, that would not be a goer. So really, truly, just what we need is more indie cars on track. Don't need to bring in outside cars and teams and whatever to help in this process. We just need more than seven. Um, and we need folks who are really committed to trying putting to put down that rubber. Uh, Nifty 52 asking why they didn't use a tire dragon. Um, that's a device that uses uh, the race tires spins them backwards and tries to apply some weight hydraulically to replicate the cars going through the corners and putting down that rubber i don't know why they didn't try it here but i can tell you that when they tried it last at phoenix uh remember being there shooting a little video about that it made no damn difference at all so that's probably why they did not go that direction uh let's see Chris Ward, how you doing, Chris? And thank you, by the way, for buying a new set of Cooper tires for your road vehicle and tweeting about that and tagging Cooper Tire. Not only do I appreciate that, they appreciate that, and that's the one of the main reasons why they're here. So thank you truly uh, for your choice in buying Cooper Tires. said, how is it that Andretti Autosport has the funding for an F1 team yet requires a full budget from a driver to run their fourth IndyCar? So no pun intended, but this doesn't add up. Um, so it's a business. And what they're trying to do in Formula One is to create a team, but to then reap financial reward from that team. So that is an investment they're willing to make with for what they've projected be something that would give them back more money than they put in running of the team, earning of points, getting travel money slash TV money, the money from sponsors and so on, right? So uh, they would be doing that because the time is good to try and do that and there's a lot of interest and they could probably reap a lot of uh, financial rewards from it. So that's why they're doing that, for business, for profit. So would just say disconnect the money they're willing to make for a business investment from running an IndyCar team where they need businesses and or drivers or drivers with businesses or parents that have businesses to pay for that. So that's another thing I've heard. Hey, didn't they raise like a zillion dollars and couldn't Michael be paying for this, that, and the other? Could, sure. But other than his son, Marco, 
There's really been no effort that I can think of to say, hey, we're just going to come out of pocket so you could have your dream of a race car driver come true. Uh, it is, without a doubt, 100% a business. Only team I can think of where it is slightly different is Dale Coin Racing. Dale puts in money from his businesses to cover half the budget, maybe more, maybe a little less, depending on the entry. But he's about the only one in the paddock taking profits from other businesses to fund, in this case partially fund, his IndyCar team. Everyone else is running their businesses to make money. So that's why, whether it's a first car, third car, fourth car, doesn't matter what number it is, uh, you ain't driving it if you aren't paying for it. Like I said, his, uh, his son, Marco, is about the only exception to the rule. Uh, where else do we go? William Matson, how you doing? Asking here. Been going through some of the old Hungness Indy 500 yearbooks. Those are amazing. I wish I had mine in front of me. So I noticed there are a lot of complaints about the USAC pop-off valves. Do you know if those complaints are valid? Or in case the team's blaming equipment they couldn't touch. Um, everything that I recall hearing and knowing was, yes, there were truly... Uh, differences between the pop-off valves for those who um aren't aware what they were or the purpose that they served before electronic turbocharger wastegates where through the electronics uh, the system currently sees turbocharger boost pressure the series sets the maximum amount of turbocharger boost that is allowed to go into the intake plenum and then that compressed air down into uh, the motor to be blown up with sparks Um, if they see an excess of boost coming across those electronic wastegates those wastegates are opened and that is bled off the excess is bled off if there are serious uh, blips spikes in boost then you'll get a boost penalty and that will actually open them up quite a bit and uh, you lose a lot of power that's sometimes why we see drivers out of nowhere slowing down and them not fully understanding why often but then getting back to things and getting back to speed um, before we had electronics we relied on mechanical springs i guess are there non-mechanical springs i don't know uh, but it was a mechanical system where the intake plenum, where this turbocharger boost, highly compressed air is being stuffed into, well, they would set a boost limit. And those springs would be the device that would either stay in place and keep the plenum sealed, so all of that boost would go into the combustion chambers and make horsepower. But if the boost was too much and too high would cause that spring to compress, compress upward and open and vent the whole plenum to atmosphere. And when that happened, I mean, it's just like someone turned the motor off. A huge loss of power. So yes, uh, the complaints were valid, especially during the mechanical spring days compared to the electrical actuation of uh, those valves. Um, 
that was a thing. And so you would have teams trying to bring those back to USAC or cart saying, Hey, we got a, we got a bum, absolute bum pop off valve. Uh, we need something better. We're getting killed. Sometimes the motor would just not be great. And that would be the place where the blame was laid and you find out with a different valve that no, there's no real difference. At times, there would be the, the quote, magical pop-off valve, right? I forget the number, but there was some number because they all had serial numbers on them, you know? Uh, number 62 or whatever was the, the great one. It actually had a stiffer spring than the other ones, so you could push a little more boost through without it popping open, popping off, and venting all that boost. So, yeah, a uh, lot of blame. Not all of it was accurate. Some of it was just going through the motions of, trying to pretend like that was the issue. So you raised a big stink and went and got a different one, made the driver feel better like you were doing something or sponsor, whatever else. Um, Sometimes there's just a real difference in power output uh, from one motor to the next, and the pop-off became the easy excuse, and sometimes it was really, truly the case. Uh, Let's see, a couple more here. Uh, Mark Summer, how you doing, Mark? Great to see you in St. Pete, by the way. Um, says, one of the crazy questions I've pondered times. If IndyCar Formula would allow either of these Franken cars, which one has a better chance of winning at Indy? Uh, a March 86C chassis with a current Chevy or Honda 2.2 liter V6 or a Delarde W12 with a Cosworth DFX? Uh, oh, that's a great question. We could probably debate this one for a long time. So the DFX would certainly be able to make more power. Not totally sure where it would land fuel mileage, though. I got to think one of the uh, modern-day motors would win on the, uh, the the mileage game. But if we're talking about, yeah, horsepower, yeah, the DFX, especially later in life, would be, uh, I think, the winning ticket. Arrow-wise, uh, I mean... I think the DW12 Cosworth DFX package is it, period. So I'm just going to go with that. So hopefully, uh, answer provided. Uh, where else do we go? Uh, Amanda, Bauer, you're back. Do teams carry extra seats from former drivers? Uh, thinking Centino would never fit in Jack's seat, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, for the drivers who do go to race to race to try and see if they're needed, uh, they often bring their seat with them. Mamo Gidley famously driving all around uh, in his little Toyota pickup truck with his seat in the bed uh, and other stuff. Uh, but yeah, so it's not uncommon for that to be the case. I remember when Oriel Servius stood in for Will Power when he crashed and had a concussion. What year was that? Like 2016, 2017, whatever, at St. Pete, like... That was one thing he had to have sent in, and I think his girlfriend at the time, maybe his wife by then, uh, just went to LAX and uh, uh, checked that in, and he picked, went to the airport at uh, Tampa and, and grabbed that, and he was in the show. Uh, Greg Fetchick, how you doing, Greg? Says, Marshall, you have the hamburger and french fries show with Sebastian Bourdais. You have the hamburger and taco show with Colton Herta. I think if you're going to continue to have Pagano as co-host, you should consider calling it the Hamburger and French Crueler Show. But see, that's a Canadian thing, right? I don't think you'd get that. This is, uh, or maybe the French onion soup. He said the In-N-Out, you know, Hamburger and In-N-Out Show, which I don't know if you kind of got the, the name convention. Um, 
but yeah, uh, if we do more with Pagano, actually that might just be a social media thing because I don't have an idea for what the show should be. I don't want to piss off Bourdais because although uh, Pagano is French, I mean, it is one Frenchman's show and I don't want to just give it to the other. So maybe I need to uh, get with Pagano and Meyershank and maybe we need to come up with a name for that. Uh, let's see. Ryan Terpstra, how you doing? Looked at the scoreboard shortly before the end of the race. Four of the top five were Chevy powered. McLaren cars probably should have been in the top five, except for some mistakes. Says so a Ferrari called you and said they're going to put a car together for the 500. Do you tell them to make a deal with Chevy? And does Penske have some hope of avoiding the last row shootout this year? Boy, they sure look like they got a lot of speed. So, yeah. Did I tell you I yelled at kind of uh, by Chevy for writing that story about Ray Gosselin? Yeah, uh, to which I told them, thank you. I, I have received your complaint. I will take note of it. And please also tell the folks there who asked you to yell at me, uh, no, I'm going to do this kind of story every time. And just as I appreciate your feeling the need to tell me you aren't happy and you don't want me to do stuff like that, that calls out a member of a team. Um, that's exactly what I'm here to do. So if I followed that thought process, I'd never write about anybody because a driver is a member of a team. Uh, the owner is a member of a team. The engineer is a member of the team and so on and so forth. So, um, instead of getting mad at me, maybe be happy that I'm, telling a story about you guys being excellent and someone who's clearly made a difference. And the only reason that I knew to write that story is because your drivers told me that, yes, this guy's making a big difference. So, um, that's why you read a story like that. Um, I think they're going to be just fine, Ryan. I think Chevy is in a pretty darn good place. The annual question though, is which manufacturer responds and can they respond enough? depending on how the season opens. So if Honda opens strong, wins the first couple, we don't have a lot of time until the month of May, but can Chevy do something development-wise, find some more speed, find some more something to fire into its motors that'll get plugged in for the Indy 500 uh, to win, and again, in terms of power, in terms of torque, drivability, fuel mileage, etc., or vice versa. Looks like Chevy sure is pretty strong right now. Can Honda come up with something to do that? So uh, I love this stuff. I really do. Um, Andrew Miller says the MP show me videos have been great. Bonus reward to whoever's idea that was. Well, on rare occasion where I think of something good, uh, I guess I should raise my hand. So if you love them, cool. That was uh, my idea. Uh, says, could the Kirkwood alternate strategy have amounted to anything special other than providing an awesome uh to look at in car view says i see ferrucci ended up finishing the best of the lap 14 stoppers but kirkwood seemed like the only guy with a rocket chip at the restart uh says when all the early stoppers should have had a big pace advantage um says also i had to bring up uh, indycar.com on my desktop computer to read the pit stop report pdf can you uh file a bug report that uh, i can't do the same on my iphone Hashtag bad web design. Um, I love the fact, Andrew, that you think my purpose in life here is to send uh, complaints to IndyCar. So I would suggest you send that to IndyCar, my friend. Um, 
lots of potential it sure looked like kyle had something special there and he did not think that he had anything uh like that in order to have any reason to believe he'd be able to do that uh throughout saturday uh they were tearing up some tires on that car so he and mike colliver clearly came up with some good changes for sunday so yeah i mean again obviously i think we could have seen some pretty special stuff if he was able to stay in the race a little longer uh, let's go to john bailey it says i have two questions first why not go with a full road course wings uh, to add the additional downforce to overcome the lack of grip for pj1 uh would it add too much downforce would uh indycar run into the same issues cart did in texas i would think so john yeah so the cars would be much slower because they would be carrying massive amount of extra downforce couple thousand pounds of extra downforce so yes they would not only be not very impressive on the straights they'd be rockets in the corner corners but yeah uh, i think we'd be having some issues in the corner there um so yeah that's that reason um you also asked could indycar indeed rent out the whole track um like i mentioned that they do with iowa and do the full promotions on the race i don't know Again, that'll be something to uh, to find out if that's a direction IndyCar might want to go or if that's uh, what Texas might suggest. Hey, just rent it from us. You handle it. Yours. It's up to you to make the profit. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know what either one would prefer. Uh, let me see. I'm just reading through a few others here. Uh, Luis Felipe Rojas Calderon, you're asking my thought about pack racing on ovals. Uh, is it risky and dangerous, even though it's more exciting to watch? Uh, certainly exciting, but yes, frightening. Um, having lost some friends on ovals over the last 10-plus years, uh, I do want to see excitement, but I don't necessarily want it to be pack racing. So um, also mention a um, uh, big salute from Columbia. Well, thank you, sir. The, truly, thank you. I.I. Uh, I. Lemur says, I really... I just really enjoy you in front of the camera. Definitely made a difference to me in the hashtag MP show me. Please, more when possible, not trying to be a creep. Uh, no problem. I will admit that I am so accustomed to filming things from behind the camera that truly, <laughs> for one or two or more of the MP show me ones, I just forgot to like do a little intro with the work flappity face and mouth yappity yap talking before showing you the stuff. So. I will try to uh, try to remember that. Uh, Anders Egeland, you doing, Anders? Said, why did they show Jimmy Johnson lap after lap when he was dead last, but managed to miss most of his progress and on-track passes when they were actually taking place in something to see? I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, yeah, I've heard a couple complaints that IndyCar might. I'm sorry, NBC might have leaned in a little too hard on their Jimmy Johnson coverage, but. I don't know, not a surprise though, right? That's someone they would uh, think would maybe bring some eyeballs to the race. So let's see a couple more here, and then I, my voice is starting to give up. So uh, Jeremiah Morell, how you doing, pal? Uh, 29 drivers have scored points so far this season in IndyCar. Jimmy Johnson is ahead of 18 of them. Can we celebrate that for a moment? Uh, yes, we can. 
<laughs> I actually uh, texted Jimmy something similar, I think, the night of the race. Um, I'm just looking for it real quick here. And it was nothing that smart, but it was just, I noticed that as well. I said, all I'm saying is you, you're leaving here tied 10th for the IndyCar Championship with Romac Rojan. F yeah. And it's just like a little encouragement. You know, the guy wants to belong. The guy is trying hard. Um, realize that he just was at a track that plays to his core strength. Unless something strange happens, there's no way he's tied with Romain after Long Beach. But it's just one of those things where you go, look, celebrate where you can. And he is such a good guy, an earnest, humble guy, that even though the coverage balance might have been off with a lot more Jimmy than maybe he deserved uh, in the first half of the race for sure, I just root for him. Uh, I don't, again, I not a NASCAR guy. Obviously I know he's one of the all time greats from there, but I don't look at Jimmy as some sort of star hero. Like he's a guy who's wanting to achieve his IndyCar dream. And that is one of the most human things you can imagine. So, uh, I love that Jeremiah and I appreciate your recognition of that too. Uh, where else, where else, where else, uh, Jamie Rowe MP says an awesome family meeting on Monday where we did indeed have the entire team Penske IndyCar team uh, on the hashtag racing family show. That was pretty fun. Uh, it says you and Chris Wheeler are killing it. That show and the drivers uh, seem to like to be uh, keep being a part of it. Keep it up. Yes, sir. It's one question about Texas. The promoter has clearly failed. Could IndyCar rent the track and just let Penske do it? Uh, he says it seems to be working in Iowa. Maybe it could in Texas. Just a thought because the promoter in Texas clearly sucks. So I know that I just covered this off, but I wanted to read this because I don't want to say the promoter sucks. I just want to say that IndyCar needs to decide whether Texas is its home for one and a half mile bank super speedway and start acting like it is the promoter or decide to go elsewhere. No, I've said similar things so far on the show, but again, I appreciated your question because there can certainly be an opinion drawn that, yeah, the people there have given up and don't care. And maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe there's a lot of truth to that. I don't know. But I can certainly tell you that the value of venue is strictly upon IndyCar here going forward. And so since you can no longer rely on the folks in Texas to make IndyCar a big deal for them, what do you do? Do you stay there or do you try something else? And do you find out that maybe your aero spec for that race, the tire spec for that replacement for Texas isn't great? And maybe the first year there or even the first and second years at wherever that is, maybe they aren't super memorable. You know, what do you do? I wish the stuff was simple. <laughs> it's not. So cut bait, risk not putting up as great a race somewhere else, or since you've seen you can have a pretty darn good race here, how forceful do you go to say, y'all, we appreciate you, but uh, you don't get us, so let us take care of this. Uh, I'm going to try and stay close to this topic here and find out um, where this might go because it does interest me. Greatly, uh, James Bethay, you you raise that question here. Is it time to move on or revisit an old venue? 
I don't know. I think y'all know where I stand. Uh, fight for it, make it work. But uh, at what price? Uh, who's in charge of promoting all this? Um, big questions to answer. Where else do we go here? Where else do we go? Kind of covered that. Kind of covered that. Covered that. All right. Got two more we're going to cover off here and then say farewell. Steve Walters says, does the increase in, in national fuel prices put a financial toll on teams? How much of a financial buffer does a team include in their budget to uh, cover increased fuel prices? Yeah. I mean, it's the tractor trailer fuel where uh, they're going to get hit. So I cannot think of a single team that is unable to absorb the costs, Steve. I don't think they would put in a buffer for fluctuating fuel prices. But as I mentioned, every team barring coin runs as a straight up for profit business. And so while their profits might get eaten into a little bit, while we have this war going on, while we have uh, the fuel prices as high as they are, uh, these are not going to impact the ability for any of the teams to go forward whatsoever. I'm not going to like it, but it's not a threat. I will close the show on a bit of a random throwback, but I appreciate those that come from our pal yet again, Colin Young. Not exactly current events, he says, but I don't think we ever really heard what caused Felix Rosenquist quack. Rosenquist's crash. <laughs> I'm having a Brooklyn uh, 9-9 moment where I think the last... Uh, I caught that show sporadically, but uh, I've been making an effort to watch it on Hulu. And I just finished watching, uh, before I went to Texas, the one where... Um, God, our new captain, the captain played by Andre Brower. Uh, is addicted to playing uh, Quasi Cupcakes on his phone. And so that's what came to mind as I started reason, reasoning. It's fallen off the rails here. Reading Felix's name, Felix Rosenquist. And I got to Rosen, and the QV hit me, and my brain went to Quasi Cupcakes. So that's how we got Quasi Quash. I love it. Oh, my brain. It is so flawed. But at least uh, I, I can document the flaws as they happen live and recount them to you here. So why don't I start that over again? This is my unpolished turn of a show, y'all. It's a final question, so I'm just going to keep it. Uh, all the airs here. So don't think we forgot. Uh, what caused Felix Quasi Cupcakes? Rosenquist's crash at Detroit last year. Did AMSP ever say what caused the throttle to stick? Nope. Uh, they didn't. The thing that I heard, the thing that I think I wrote about was the, the paddock's best assessment of what happened is whether it was the pedal came loose from the, the throttle pedal came loose from its mounting bracket or the throttle potentiometer came loose. Um, one of those two things happened to jam the throttle open and make it not possible to back out of that and uh, pull it back and stop the motor from revving crazily and accelerating the uh, the rear wheels and tires. So that is the general paddock belief that there was something that came disconnected in the good old, quote, pedal box with the throttle 
So whether it was the electronic potentiometer or the, uh, the throttle pedal itself, um, something compressed, went to full throttle, and poor Felix had no time or real ability to try and draw something back with his foot to stop it from happening. All right, y'all, that is our show for the week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we're going to do another Hashtag Racing Family show tomorrow. It's going to be the first of what should be an occasional special feature tentatively called Clearish. It's going to be my co-host, Chris Wheeler. I'll be there too, but primarily Chris and some spotter friends from NASCAR, from IndyCar, from IMSA, Chris being a renowned spotter as well. Um, Spotters, talking about spotting on the Hashtag Racing Family Show. Hopefully that'll be of interest. So until then, I'm Marshall Pruitt. Here's our Weekend IndyCar listener Q&A show brought to you by Cooper Tires, Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com.